Hello there, everyone. Welcome to Digital Nomad Mastery, the podcast and the videocast where we teach you not only how to make money and save money while traveling the world, but also ultimately how to make a difference while traveling the world. And on today's uh, interview, we actually have a couple of difference makers. They're the founder, uh, they're the directors of Comedy in Guatemala. And we're going to be finding out all about their passion for eliminating malnutrition in uh, Guatemala. So, uh, you know, uh, welcome to the show, guys, Ivy and Andrew. Uh, why don't you guys do a quick introduction and share a little bit more about yourselves? Well, thanks so much for this opportunity. We really appreciate the chance to get the word out for Conojel uh, down here in San Marcos, La Laguna, Guatemala. I'm Andrew. I'm one of the founders of Conojel and the executive director. Um, I came to Guatemala from Brooklyn, New York, where I was born and raised. Um, in New York, I was a school teacher, a language teacher specifically, where I taught Spanish and later English as a second language for immigrants for several years. Um, and so I came down here in uh, late 2011 and um, was living here in San Marcos, uh, which is on the shores of beautiful Lake Atitlan, a huge lake surrounded by volcanoes in Guatemala. I was living here for about a year um in different uh, activities and engaging with the community in different ways when the opportunity to step in and take over a very small nutrition project for the elderly uh single moms little kids and and toddlers um kind of fell on my lap and i felt at the time that as somebody who was qualified in a few ways to um, continue that program and, and ultimately expand it i felt kind of responsible for doing so so that was uh, late 2011 that I got here. It was a full year of living in this community, which is mostly uh, Mayan indigenous. Um, it was about a year of living here and being involved with the community before ultimately I took over the Konohel Nutrition Center, which has now become the Konohel Community Center. Um, and I'm Ivy. I, um, I came to Guatemala about two years ago. I am also from the New York City area. Um, before I started traveling, I was living in New York. I was working. Um, my most recent job was I had a small um, design business that I did um, flowers and things like that for weddings and photo shoots and things like that. Before that, I was working in PR and communications. Um, I got burned out. I was kind of you know, on a journey to find myself. So I started traveling and I started in Mexico um, and then ended up in Costa Rica and finally in Guatemala where I was only planning to come for um, a couple weeks. Sorry, our dogs are playing behind us. Um, and when I came down, I, I immediately fell in love with the country and I came to the lake and I met Andrew and we immediately connected just because of our backgrounds in New York and we both um, lived that kind of New York hectic lifestyle and um, wanted something different for ourselves. And so we really bonded over that and um, I started helping out at Kono Health where he was the director. Um, I just got involved and really became enamored with the whole project, with the people involved and kind of the heart and soul and spirit of it. So I started volunteering for a year um, before I stepped into my role as Director of Communications back in April. And um, so now it's just the two of us and we're running it together and yeah, it's a beautiful partnership. Definitely very inspiring. Uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about what the background of Conohel. Uh, tell us about how it got started, uh, what does it mean, and uh, tell us a little bit more about the origin. 
Well, happily. Um, Konohel is a word from the local Mayan language, uh, which is Kakchikel, and it means all together in that language. Um, so the, the theme of unity and cohesion uh, in, in trying to fulfill our, our mission of reducing chronic malnutrition and addressing the issue of um, extreme poverty in the area uh, certainly is reflected in the name Konohel in that we try to do so holistically and in an integrated way. But um, to be really specific, Konohel as a nutrition center, again, um, came about in order to address the need of, of chronic malnutrition, which is really, really um, problematic here in the community and, and throughout Guatemala and throughout, I think, this, this whole part of the world. Um, it started in September 2011, a very um, thoughtful and considerate local businessman, Benjamin Errarte, started Konohel um, with... Uh, one very basic donation from a, uh, an expat couple that had been living here, and it was a monthly sum that lasted for about a year and allowed Benjamin to open a nutrition program, um, which essentially served as a, a lunch uh, service um, for 60 to 65 of the most at-risk members of the Mayan indigenous community at risk of or suffering from chronic malnutrition. And so this started with, and, and to this day remains, a nutrition program, a daily lunch, which is vegetarian because of budgetary concerns, but really diverse and healthy and traditional. And it's a lunch program that is, um, has been created and maintained for a, a list of the elderly, uh, young moms who are breastfeeding and or pregnant, uh, elementary school kids, and then uh, small children who are um, under the age of five, but old enough to eat solid food. And that's specifically and exclusively who the lunch is for. So that was the original program that started in 2011 that I took over in 2012, in, in a sense trying to um, resuscitate it or keep it alive as the funding had run out. And Mr. Errarte, um, for all the hard work he'd done, was no longer able to continue. And so I, I became aware of this lunch program that existed for um, people in town who'd been determined to be at risk of malnutrition, which again uh, is a problem that afflicts at least half the community, statistically speaking, and uh, according to some measures, up to 70% of, of the people living in, in San Marcos. Um, so it's, it's a list of beneficiaries, those elderly, young moms, elementary school kids, and, and very small children that Konohel does not and, and has never identified ourselves. Rather, we depend on local agencies that have direct contact with the community, such as the health center and the school programs, or excuse me, the local schools, as well as the family court, and really just any, any local leader or, or member of the community is in a position to solicit our nutritional services or recommend that we take into account somebody who's at risk, who are in those aforementioned categories. And so we have a lot of other programs that have developed from this nutrition program, but the nutrition program, which again is, is, a, is a lunch program Monday to Friday for 60 people brought to us by the community, um, that we are told and, and through statistics and home and home visits, we, we understand are suffering from chronic malnutrition. We provide a nutritional resource to them in order to help them, um, I don't know, have a chance to, to move past malnutrition and to excel in other areas of their life. It's really something malnutrition that uh, it, it weighs on them in terms of chronic health problems, it affects people's ability to finish school. And so while we do believe in the importance of continuing programs and things that in the long term develop employment and provide education supplements, 
uh, it's really something that today old women and young women and little kids need in order to have a chance to succeed uh, down the line and, and to emerge from the issue of poverty and malnutrition uh, in the long term. Um, there's, there's a lot of other programs that we've developed since 2011 with an eye towards the long-term well-being of the community because it's, it's one thing to provide nutrition to people that don't have it. And, and these are people, as I've mentioned, who, who live in food insecure households. It's not a question of um, wanting or not to, to feed themselves and their families appropriately. Rather, it's a question of um, access to the food because of economics. And in other impoverished communities, we see a lot of the same things, be it in the United States, in so-called food deserts. Um, certainly throughout this region, there's an abundance of access to cheap processed foods, which has um, created a very difficult situation where people are malnourished or undernourished and yet uh, potentially obese or is suffering from or at risk of, of diabetes because of the types of foods that they can afford and the uh, quality foods that they can't. Um, but we do believe strongly and we've invested a lot of our resources over the years in creating and maintaining programs that, um, that generate jobs first and foremost. That's really what Kona Hall is about in the long term, is addressing chronic malnutrition through the creation of dignified and sustainable jobs for women and young people because we believe very much in the importance of empowering local women um, to raise their own standards of living through access to and, and support in, in getting quality jobs. And so we hope in five, 10, 15 years that the lunch program that Kona Hall provides, the flagship program which does give food to food insecure households, we hope that it won't be necessary soon. And we think we're doing that through creating um, upwards of two dozen jobs over the past several years for Mayan women. Definitely amazing work you guys are doing. So you mentioned uh, the malnutrition program and the lunching program. Uh, tell us about some of the other programs you guys uh, have developed over the years. Well, happily. The other programs, and, and that's really where we've made our mark. As I said, the nutrition program was the program that I took over in late 2012 that had been founded by Mr. Errarte. And at this point, we count amongst our programs uh, close to half a dozen that are happening on a regular basis, and some of them are really exciting. And this doesn't even touch on some of the, the medical clinics uh, with the University of Indiana's dental school and some of the other things that are more, uh, not one-offs, but happen occasionally. Um, rather, our, our long-term and frequent programs include an after-school enrichment uh, program, which happens every day for the elementary school kids. Um, that come to our nutrition programs. So they are by um, written agreement through their families obliged or required to stay for an hour after school and after the lunch program is over every single day uh, as a means of giving them a chance to work on their homework, to develop and improve their Spanish language literacy pro uh, skills. Um, we work on math and science and, and address themes including protection of the local environments uh, as we live in a closed ecosystem here at the lake. Um, but it's really an opportunity more than anything to A, give them a space that's clean and well-lit and supportive to their development and also to offer an avenue through which they can give back to the program that is supporting them, uh, which is something that both the local indigenous community and the expat community in San Marcos has expressed is important, that it's not just give, 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 which of course I think is really important that these kids and elders have nutrition and have access to 
quality food, but when we can, we do like to create avenues through which they can give back um, to the, the program that supports them. So that's the enrichment program, which is run by a local young woman named Laura, who's been running it with our supervision for the last two and a half years. And that job in and of itself is a really awesome opportunity um, for young women to young women to be empowered and, and to take, I think, a, a role of leadership in her community, which didn't exist a couple of years ago. That's the enrichment program. Beyond that, we've opened a computer center that's been running for the last two years. Again, we have an eye on the, the problem of malnutrition today through providing good quality food to those who don't have it. But down the line, we think that education and employment, access to education and employment, is really what's going to help this community emerge from the, the, the challenge of malnutrition. So, for example, we learned through our work here on the ground that um, school children are most often assigned uh, homework that requires them to go online for half an hour to an hour a day and then use printing services, which both internet access and printing is, is costly in, in the local economy when employment is scarce and income is not consistent. So if you don't have a job, you can't pay for your kids printing. And if your kid can't print out his homework assignment, then as early as 10, 11, 12 years old, that young kid is, is not going to be able to finish school. And so it's a cycle that continues. We think that malnutrition stems in large part from unemployment and unemployment undoubtedly stems from uh, an inability to finish school. And when you get down to it, having 75 cents to $1.50 US a day can be the difference between being able to finish elementary school or not. And so what we've done is create a computer program that um, gives away internet access and printing services exclusively to children and young people who are enrolled in school. And so uh, ec economics and employment are no longer an impediment uh, for young people to finish school thanks to the computer program that again is run by uh, a local young man who's very talented and um, in fact in the last couple months has gotten some nationwide publicity through the, um, the National Guatemalan paper El Diario. So we're really proud of our computer program and at this point it's an opportunity to um, to make the, the young people in town responsible for their own success because it's no longer a question of if you have a little bit of money every day, if you are interested in finishing your schooling, if you are motivated to complete your assignments, we have a resource available to you that is going to allow you to do that. And so it's, it's really on the young people in town to, to make their situation better at this point. Um, We've talked about the after-school program, we've talked about the computer program, and Ivy, who has played a huge role in the development of our social enterprise, our restaurant, could maybe tell you a little bit about what we're doing in terms of sustainability and generating income so that we're not just waiting for donations, although we, we definitely need donations, but we're not sitting back waiting for people to give us monetary handouts. We're trying to create our own streams of revenue. Yeah, so the Conohal, um restaurant or the Conahal Commodore as it's known in the community is a really, I think, exciting project and is among one of the many things that makes Conahal special and interesting. And one of the things that you may not know about our community is that it's a very popular tourist destination. So we have a lot of people coming to the community all the time, backpackers, travelers, and young people. And so there is kind of a downtown area near the lake where people can dine at restaurants and eat kind of westernized food and things like that. So um, it was really important, I think, for Konohal to not just have roots in the indigenous community, but have a way to um, reach the traveler, the backpacker community, um, 
as well as have kind of this revenue generating enterprise. So Konohel opened a small restaurant um, that serves many purposes that are really important for Konohel and the community center and its existence. So um, the main thing that it does um, to kind of sum it up is it sells food to tourists and backpackers um, and Guatemalans from the capital um, and even some indigenous people that come to the restaurant. It serves food to the um, kind of the traveling community and then the revenue that's generated from the restaurant goes back to the community center kind of to support the lunch program. Um, so it's kind of this really beautiful sustainability model that's very simple. The other thing that's really important about the restaurant is that it creates jobs for local women um, and it creates dignified employment. It um, provides them with fair wages and it also gives them job training so that if they're not with us, they can go to another um, place and work and have skills to offer. So it's this really kind of wonderful um, meeting where we can create jobs for local women, which is part of Konohel's, um, you know, ethos, our values is to create jobs for women. It gives us an opportunity to reach the local community and let them know what we're doing. So in that way, it's been a great resource to get donations, to get um, resources, and just meet people that want to help. It, it allows us to also meet really wonderful volunteers. Um, yeah, and so it's just kind of this wonderful thing so we can sustain our programs through this restaurant. We can also provide jobs for the women that work there. It's, it's a fun endeavor as well. Um, it's been really challenging. We used to occupy a very small, modest piece of land we rented from, um, from some local leaders. And we're about a month out from opening our new facility, which is a big risk or a big gamble in that we've invested some resources in uh, building and um, creating a really, really beautiful space that's gonna adhere to all the environmental standards that local laws uh, insist upon. It's gonna have um, a really comfortable kitchen that the women who work there were integral in designing to their own kind of comfort level. Um, but it, it, to give you a sense of the, the full circle, because that's what the restaurant represents. It's not only their opportunity to learn Western uh, or uh, modern dishes that are, are sellable in the tourist market, but it's a chance to um, kind of graduate and move up in, in their, their opportunities, right? So women from the community get their first, often first experience in, in formal employment through our nutrition program. Maria Mejia is the um, director of operations or the, pro or the programming director. And through her, we um, uh, recruit, hire, train, and supervise our kitchen staff for the nutrition program. That's kind of like their first taste in many cases of formal employment outside the home. Um, women who successfully complete their time in our test kitchen, which is where we prepare and serve the meals to the beneficiaries, are then um, in a position where we can find them work either in other local restaurants, which we've had a lot of success doing, as well as um, graduating them, if you will, to our, uh, to our own restaurant. And so uh, in the first two years, the restaurant grew from having just two full-time staff to this past year, there were six women working full-time in our restaurant. And we're gonna have to see, but over the course of this coming season, we hope that the restaurant will grow to employ um, maybe a dozen women. And this is a community of, depending on which census you look at or which statistic you refer to, has between four and 5,000 local indigenous. And so to have employment opportunities for a dozen, two dozen young women, that's a lot of families. That's a lot of individuals that are benefiting either primarily or in a secondary or tertiary way from those jobs we provide. 
and we're really proud of the food we serve. We're really proud of the service we provide as it's by far, I'd say, the fastest and most efficient service. You can be in and out in five or 10 minutes, which is unusual in this kind of sleepy tourist town. Um, but we make a lot of kind of dynamic and delicious food in a way that's affordable to people from all different walks of life, be they somewhat more affluent middle-aged tourists, younger uh, backpacker style people, or even um, middle-class indigenous from this local community. So um, it, it's a great chance to, to show the community what we're doing. It's a great chance to invite people from different walks of life to support us monetarily, which is really important. Ultimately, Konohala needs money to get by. We need money to thrive and to flourish. And, and again, it was made clear to us years ago by the indigenous community and the expat and tourist community. They wanted to see us develop sustainability models. They wanted to see us earn what we bring in. And we really are proud to have this restaurant for a lot of the, the reasons we've just described. What I'd love to hear is uh, some of the stories of uh, people that have been impacted uh, through the organization over the years. Uh, do you have any uh, couple of stories that stand out to you guys? Well, I, um, I go back often to uh, the story of my friend Elena Kiakain, and she is a wonderful, if unremarkable, young woman. I believe she's about 29 years old now. And I, I describe her and her situation because I think it, it really represents um, a lot of the successes or it represents what we're, we're trying to do. So I'll tell you that in 2013, I met Elena because her young son, Derek, who at the time was about three, now he is, I guess he's six and a half, maybe seven. Derek was assigned to our nutrition program because as a three-year-old, he was suffering quite clearly from chronic malnutrition. Uh, the symptoms include stunted physical growth. We know that it can result in stunted cognitive growth, and one of the telltale signs is thinning or hair that falls out, and that's pretty alarming to see in a three, four, five-year-old kid. Um, so Derek was brought to us because of uh, the local health center who does home visits, and they identified his health, I'm sorry, his height and weight, which registered him as, as, mal as malnourished. So Derek joined our nutrition program and we noticed his mom lingering, hanging out, kind of trying to get involved, really doting on him in a sweet way. I can tell you now that Derek, after several years in our lunch program, has um, more than recovered his height and weight and we hope to graduate him uh, very soon because we've seen a major change in his overall well-being. But I tell the story more because of Elena and the ways in which Konohal has given her the tools to raise her own standard of living. Because while Elena was brought to our, our network because of her son's health problems, um, she was soon thereafter hired by Maria as one of our cook staff. So Elena, who at the time was probably 25, 26 years old, got her first opportunity to work formally outside her home. And to reiterate, I didn't hire Elena, rather I hired Maria as our general manager, if you will. And Maria does all the hiring because as I'm not a Kakchikel speaker, I'm not indigenous from the community, it's, it's not my goal to be the one who provides the jobs, rather that needs to come from the community itself as they're the ones who really know the, the need on the ground day to day. So Elena was brought in, in in late 2013 to join our cook staff of three who works directly under Maria. And Elena worked for us for over a year. And in that time learned um, some delicious traditional recipes. She learned, I mean, you know, it, it sounds a little bit crazy, even to me still to think, but some of the women who join our cook staff, and I quote, don't know how to peel a carrot. And that's not to disparage them. They have a lot of really impressive talents separate from, from uh, 
bulk cooking, but you know, it, it takes a certain skill set to prepare meals for 60 people every day. So it, it really, even though it seems kind of cookie cutter or basic, getting to work in our kitchen, training under Maria Mejia and having the demand of producing these meals at the time it needs to go out because our beneficiaries are quite demanding, right? They want their food at the hour it's provided, so on and so forth. Elena learned some key skills and she learned them in a demanding environment, working under a leader from her own community. And, and doing so in a way that provided healthy and, and nutritious meals for people in her town that needed them. Well, after about a year and a half, we got the opportunity to transition Elena and her coworkers, Isabel and Lucia, to another full-time job. And we did that um, through a friend of mine, Brian, who owns Hostel de Lago. And he since has taken on uh, eight women from our community center who have proven themselves reliable, punctual, and honest through their work in our nutrition program. And to this day, and that was in late 2014, that Elena transitioned from our, our community center and since then has held a steady job that pays her more than minimum wage. And I can say firsthand that her employer and her, her job treat her with respect and dignity. So since then, Elena has maintained a steady job. I've noticed that um, you know, the quality of life for her and her son has improved significantly, not because we've gifted her all of these things, but because we gave her a platform through which she could improve her own standard of living. To this day, we see in her son more expression in his second language of Spanish, a higher reading level than he could have hoped to have if he didn't join our program, an improved um, height and weight. And you know, more often than not, Elena joins him when she's free and she's not working, she sits down with him and after lunch joins him in quiet reading time and serves him his food and makes sure that he eats his vegetables first. And, and I guess that wasn't as concise an anecdote as I, I, I shoot for, but I'm really proud of Elena and I'm really proud of, of Cornell Hell for not doing it for her, but pushing her and offering her these opportunities, but she had to go get it herself. And she, to this day, continues to get after it. She's signed up for our uh, English program, which ran during most of 2017, picking up basic English skills so she could go out and look for other opportunities or explain her situation to tourists and foreigners so she can uh, bring on her own resources. So um, Elena Kiakain, who at this point is 29, has had steady work thanks to us for almost five years. She's really, for me, not the only success story, but you know, I'm proud of what she's done and I'm proud of, of what we've helped her do. Um, you know, I, I could tell you, honestly, this, this is the best part of running Kono Hell is these stories and our day-to-day -day interaction with these folks. They're, they're not statistics for us. They're not names on a piece of paper, rather. We see them every day and they know where we live and we know where they live. And, and if they're not happy with the services we're providing, they're not shy about explaining to us how we need to get better. And, you know, we've, we've made a lot of mistakes, Ivy and I and our local staff and some of the, the other foreigners who have passed through our administration. We mess up all the time. But what we are committed to doing is, is treating our beneficiaries and treating our staff as our peers and as our, our equals, because they're our neighbors. And, you know, we're a small organization. We have 60 beneficiaries. We have, um, if our restaurant is successful this year, we could say two dozen employees that we have on staff. And we have, you know, uh, probably a couple hundred people in this community who we've impacted through our health services, through our outreach, through our, uh, our, our own donations to the schools, to the community centers and the health centers. Um, but all of them we know personally. All of them we feel responsible to as individuals and as neighbors and as peers. And um, 
you know, like I said, and, and as Ivy is fond of saying, we're not perfect and we readily admit our faults and our defects, but what people can count on in this community, what people can count on in our network of supporters is that we're honest, we maintain integrity, and we just try and do better every single day, no matter what happened yesterday, we come at it with our best and, and humility in trying to get better every day. Definitely very inspiring to hear uh, these stories. Tell us about uh, some of the major needs. Uh, obviously, there's the financial need. Uh, tell us about uh, what are the other areas that are most needed right now. We have a lot of needs um, because, of course, running an organization like this, there's so many aspects of it, and it's not, it's not possible to do with just two people. So um, we're constantly looking for resources. We're constantly looking for... Um, people's help in many different ways. Of course, monetarily is the most important thing you can provide to our organization because that will help keep the lunch program going, um, the nutrition program going. That will help us um, pay salaries to our staff and and things like that. But we are constantly in need of just different resources, different minds, um, different ideas. So right now, we're looking for um, a little bit of help with accounting, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, so an accountant professional would be really great. Um, uh, to, to fill that in, or like, you know, I'm sure anybody who's worked in the nonprofit sector can relate to it. We're uh, a couple of, of hardworking and well-meaning young people, but we, um, you know, I'm a teacher by training and Ivy is very eclectic and very talented. Neither of us have the experience to scale up a legitimate business in a responsible, profitable, and transparent way. And our goal, of course, is definitely to be profitable. It's also ultimately to be as transparent and, and open as possible because as a grassroots NGO, we, we depend on, on the trust of our community and the trust of our, our network of donors. So certainly it's not just accounting, it's, it's overall business skills. You know, we've been looking for a long time and we've at times gotten some really great support from business-minded people, but you know, ideology or idealism only gets you so far and I've been doing this every day for almost six years now. And I can say that I think my, my, my dreams and my hopes, they've, they've uh, along with that of a lot of other people, they've helped us to become what we are. But at this point, we need to be strong. We need to be consistent. We need to be accounted for. And so having somebody with a business background, having people come in and just, I guess, offer their own set of skills because we've, we've taken our own skills about as far as we can and we need people to help. We really need um, uh, to maximize sales at our restaurant. We really need um, to have successful fundraising endeavors. And that is both in terms of, of monetary donations, which um, you know, our need is substantial, but not in any way uh, drastic or overwhelming. It wouldn't take much to support us for a year. Um, as our budget is, you know, as we grow between forty and fifty thousand dollars U.S., um, but there's also ways of supporting us uh, through training and through material donations, like computers, like health and um, hygiene materials, including for women's health and hygiene, dental health and hygiene. Um, you know, it, it's it's hard to believe. Uh, even to this day, growing up in in a, a fortunate, privileged upper middle class household in Brooklyn, New York. Um, just how severe the level of need can be uh, in, in a community that's as, as extremely impoverished as San Marcos La Laguna. And so everything goes a long way. If it's printer ink, if it's a bag full of toothbrushes, if it's um, honestly a new set of laptops for the kids to do their homework on, 
um, food donations. We eat a lot of beans every week. Big surprise. So, you know, if we could get a connect with a large company like Goya or somebody that would donate and, and help us reduce or minimize our, our expenditures. But, you know, it's, it's a really great question you ask. And it's, it's amazing to think um, of some of the, the organizations and individuals that have supported us over the years and some of them since I got involved. And, and they've done it through, like I said, monetary donations, but even more incredibly through training and resources they've set aside. And it makes me think of Kusta Global Just Designs and their founder, Jesse Luna, and some of the training and technology she's provided for us. We didn't even talk about our women's cooperative that uses solar technology and upcycled textiles to create more jobs. Those are some of the jobs we provided is through a three meter tall solar dehydrator and a rotating solar oven. And that's thanks to our network of supporters. Um, Buena Onda, which is based in the capital and run by Scott Garrison, they've put us in touch with a lot of universities and high schools that have, you know, I, I think ultimately it's about getting us in touch with the world at large because I personally would never have believed some of the needs of a community like San Marcos, and we are in no way unique. In fact, in many ways, San Marcos is potentially fortunate to have the level of tourism and the economy potential that exists here. It's not to say that it's reached the indigenous community yet, but it's there. And what we need are bridge builders. What we need are professionals who can put us in touch with schools, universities, businesses, corporations, um, and, uh, honestly, the, the story we tell and the, the story we live is, it's fascinating, it's heartbreaking, it's inspiring. And one of the things that's most, um, you know, challenging but also exciting about it is how far even the smallest resource goes. We get a bag full of toothbrushes and tomorrow they're in the hands of the school. And the next day they're distributed to every student. We got a donation of buckets of paint last month, thanks to a company in the capital of Guatemala and our connection with Scott Garrison at Buena Onda. This weekend, we donated to the middle school and they themselves repainted their school, which was a savings of $1,000 US and, and a chance for them to have a little bit of dignity and a little bit of, of, of a, a positive environment in which to complete their studies. So um, we need everything. We need technology, we need business acumen, we need computers, we need health services, and we need money. We really need money. And we don't need a lot of it, but we need consistent money. And I'll tell you what, with uh, two or three dozen reoccurring donors who were willing to donate 50 to $250 a month, we'd be set. We'd be in really good shape and we could then count on sustained and, and responsible growth and so it really doesn't, it doesn't take a rocket scientist or it doesn't take a multimillionaire. If, if we could get a network of, let's just call it 25 to 50 reliable and thoughtful people who are willing to put aside 100, 200, $300 a month, we're set. And we could then focus on jobs and growth and, and dignified opportunities for education and employment instead of scrapping to get by on a day-to-day -day basis, which is what we're doing. Yeah, I definitely encourage the people uh, watching and listening to help out any way you can. Uh, Andrew's uh, listed a whole bunch of different ways, anything from financial to different resources, uh, business expertise and experience, et cetera. Uh, so to end off here, I'm curious to know about the vision forward. Uh, you know, well established after five or six years there. Tell us about uh, the, the vision going forward. Well, it's, it's a great question. And... Um, you know, Konohel has grown, it's changed each year. I've had the privilege of kind of living it. I've grown and changed each year. I'm sure that Ivy would say the same, um, even in just the, the two years compared to my sixth. Um, 
And I imagine that, that the same will happen with Kono Hell, I'm sure. But we, we really do want to focus on kind of hunkering down and becoming sustainable, com- becoming uh, uh, consistent as much as possible. We're in the, the process as we speak of legalizing Kono Hell as a not-for-profit organization here in Guatemala, which is a cumbersome but really important uh, process. And we hope that'll take hold and be the case before 2018. We are a registered nonprofit in the United States. That's right. Kono Hell is a... Uh, an exclusive project of the Altogether Foundation. And you know, I, I, um, before I really answer your question, I want to point out to anybody who's interested in supporting us that um, Kono Hell's operating budget or its programs take up the great bulk of our operating budget. And so we are very grassroots. And when you donate to Kono Hell, 80, 90% of that, that fund goes directly into our programs. And Ivy and I proudly are the only two foreign administrators on our staff compared to a growing group of indigenous employees and more and more administration. Um, so, you know, to answer your question, we want Kono Hell to be not only for the people, but of the people in the sense that it has already a really wonderful and dynamic core group of indigenous women leaders. I've mentioned Maria Mejia, I've mentioned Laura, who runs our after-school program, and our uh, board of directors here in Guatemala is, other than myself, 100% indigenous Guatemalan as of right now. And um, it's really important for everybody who knows us or who wants to get to know us to understand that we believe completely in empowering and making the local leadership responsible for the well-being and the future of Kono Health, in that it would be great if one day in the not-too-distant future, Ivy and I become obsolete, or let's say turnkey, as we have no interest in separating ourselves or distancing ourselves from this, which has become uh, one of two great loves in my life, Kono Hell and, and Ivy being the other. But um, it's really important that after six years that I've been integral and key day-to-day to Kono Hell, that Kono Hell is able to survive and thrive with local indigenous leadership, because ultimately that's how this is going to um, be sustainable and be a long-term thing that can help people not just survive, but um, flourish and thrive in their employment opportunities and their opportunities for education. And, you know, the only way that Kono Hell will no longer need to offer its nutrition services is if the community members themselves, if the young people who today are doing their homework in our computer center, if Elena who still has steady and well-paid employment, can support her son to finish school. If Elena's son, when he's 20 years old, maybe he's the next mayor, little Derek, whose hair was falling out four years ago. Maybe he's a university professor. Maybe he's an engineer who designs the thing that saves the lake. But it's not going to happen tomorrow, and we're dealing with people who really, really need access to nourishing and, and, and healthy food. But if they have it, and if they have our trust and our, our best selves, then honestly, I believe and I have to believe that before too long, they're going to be able to do this themselves and they won't need us to, to survive and to get by on a day-to-day basis. To quote Andrew, the, the, um, the goal of Kono Hall is to not feed more people, but to reduce the need for our meal program in the community. And we're doing that kind of with these um, bigger picture, long-term vision plans that we have to create employment and to create opportunities and to just empower the people in the community um, to pull themselves out of the cycle of poverty and yeah we, we've seen it happen we've seen it happen on on dozens of occasions and you know we've we failed too we're we don't have a perfect track record but like i said 
Um, we look our staff, we look our peers, we look our neighbors, and we look the local leadership that gives us the space to do this work. We see them every day. And nobody's shy about pointing out our failures, least of all us. And, um, you know, we're really proud to, to be empowering and to have created these opportunities. It's a gift for us. It's a privilege coming from where we come from. And we're not sitting far away from, from the people we're helping. We're eating lunch with them day to day. We're sharing food. We're sharing struggles. We're sharing stories. And we're sharing in their families. And they've, they've opened their doors to us. And so um, it's, it's been a blessing and it's been a real challenge. And we're going to uh, buckle up and get ready for another day today after talking to you. Well, it's uh, definitely great to chat with both of you guys. Uh, super inspiring what you guys are doing. I definitely wishing you the best. If people wanted to connect with you, help out, support, donate, how can they do that? What's your website and social media? Yeah, um, you can go to www.conohel.org. That's K-O-N-O-J-E-L. You can also find us on Facebook. Just Google or just search Conohel. We're on Instagram as well. It's a great way to just kind of see the day-to-day -day, um, activities and kind of get intimate access into the organization and see what we do every day. Um, and feel free to message us, reach out. I'm Ivy, Ivy at Conohel.org. He's Andrew at Conohel. We're, we're always here. We really want to hear from you guys. And, and it, it needs to be said again that um, Conohel is the only project of the All Together Foundation, which is registered as a 501c3 not-for-profit. And their website is under construction, but we'll direct you to ours. So this is to say that um, the Altogether Foundation, which provides the, um, the legal platform for Conohel to exist, um, will offer tax-deductible donations or tax deductions on donations. And there's just a lot of good reasons to support us. And you'll hear straight from us directly personally and our U.S. board uh, if and when people choose to reach out. So I really want to thank you for the, the platform to get our story out. And uh, I look forward to hearing more from you and to everybody who gets to know us through this, this opportunity and, and any time they want to reach out and connect with us directly. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Yeah, thank you. You're very welcome, and thank you for sharing, uh, you know, definitely inspiring to me and uh, to all of our viewers and listeners. So I'll have the link below uh, for everyone who's watching. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, the link will be right in the YouTube description. If you're listening on uh, iTunes, they'll be right in the show notes. So once again, make sure you check it out. It's conahell.org, and, uh, you know, they're all, all over social media as well. Uh, so thanks again, guys, and we'll catch up with you guys soon. Thanks so much. Hope to be in touch. Have a great one. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to this episode. Uh, make sure you connect with uh, Ivy and Andrew and also the organization, Connor Hell. And thanks uh, for tuning in to this episode of Digital Nomad Mastery, where we not only teach you how to make money while traveling the world, but ultimately how to make a difference, give back, and uh, support local communities. So thanks, to everyone. Happy travels.